Hey guys, it's David from Good Bull Hunting. Welcome back. We are now live with Season 2 of the Aggie Hoops Weekly Podcast. We're going to talk to you guys today about the full 2017-2018 season-long recap, the highs, the lows, the bundle of weird that was last season. And we're also going to talk for a bit about the guys that are leaving us, whether through graduation, disciplinary issues, or an early entrance into the NBA draft. We're going to talk about the impact of the outgoing guys and set up our full preview podcast, which will hit uh, in about a week. Stay tuned for more information from us. Uh, we're looking forward to the season opener on November 7th. Thanks, guys. Welcome back. You may have noticed our name change. We have gone from Aggie Hoops Podcast to Aggie Hoops Weekly. This was after a large sum of money was paid to a consultant to help us rebrand. And so Aggie Hoops Weekly is the result. So with that being said, David, how was your offseason? Well, Blake, as a quick peek behind the curtain, you and I were both formally overly priced consultants ourselves so it takes one to know one and we found ourselves a good one who decided that he would take our money and change one word at the end so we you know i i feel great <laughs> yeah great result great result um in all seriousness we, we we made this change we're gonna try to standardize our delivery we're gonna try to get it to you guys every tuesday and make it a bit more formulaic in terms of talking about the specific week in terms instead of just whenever we can put it out there um so looking forward to that change. It'll help to kind of it'll help our schedules and hopefully will help people dial in on a Tuesday morning knowing it's going to be there every time. But no, we're uh, we're excited to talk basketball again. The temperature is changing outside, which means it's time to do a little research and it's time to start thinking Aggie hoops. It is. It's a good time of year. So we, I know we wanted to we wanted to talk about how to, how to play this preseason episode is and this is less a formal preview pod. You know that's coming. Um, but we still have, I think, 11 or 12 days until the start of the season. So we wanted to take some time to recap the following or re- to recap the prior season. Right. We uh, never really circled up to eulogize the season that was uh, after the loss to Michigan in the Sweet 16. So we figured we could take some time, discuss the results from last year, the ebb and flow of the season, some things we liked and didn't like, you know, maybe some of some of which could translate into the current season. And to also chat about what we're going to lose and where some of those guys have ended up. But enough about the uh, the high-level stuff. Let's jump into what was truly an up-and-down campaign for the ages last year. And it starts with what really I thought, Blake, was a cool way to start the season. It started with a Hurricane Harvey relief game against Texas. I thought it was a cool thing for the universities to do. They came together. They played in the city of Houston. First time the two squads have had played on a basketball court. Uh, in the state of Texas in quite some time. I know they met in the Bahamas not that long ago, but it was it was nice to have the two teams playing against each other in front of a crowd of locals. Uh, we lost, but it didn't matter. Both teams emptied the benches. Just kind of a cool, I thought a cool footnote, right? It was one of the fun ways to start the season. The not footnote, the actual cool way to start the season was an absolute blitzkrieg from Texas A&M basketball, both in the high level and at the, at the macro, uh, micro level. Um, we started with an with an absolute destruction of number eleven West Virginia to open the season, and when I say open the season, I mean we literally opened the college basketball season. ESPN did this, I thought, a pretty clever twenty four hours of basketball thing all over the world to kind of launch you know, this tip off campaign of when basketball was starting, uh, college basketball starting across the world. And we were literally the first game, uh, top twenty five matchup, and we we killed West Virginia to start the season. That was really fun, and that just launched us into a. A 5-0 start. We played 
a couple of paycheck games in there. Uh, we also beat a couple of Power 5 opponents in the Legends Classic in Brooklyn, New York. And we were flying pretty high, Blake. We, you know, What was once a, considered a fringe-ranked team uh, hit the road as number 16 to face number 10 USC. And the stakes only got higher from there. After a, a decisive win on the road at USC, the A&M Aggies rose to number five in the country. At that point, there was talk of Final Four potential. You, you started to see a lot of national notice and a lot of national recognition for this team. And so the, the stakes got pretty high pretty quickly. A couple, so a week after the USC game, AM headed back to the Western time zone to take on Arizona in Phoenix. And it was a, a close three point loss to a, a team that was anchored by DeAndre Ayton, who would eventually be the number one pick in the NBA draft and uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. AM put, put up a great showing against Arizona. Battled, battled Arizona and the refs, as you would expect. And, you know, it was, it was one of those losses where if you believe in moral victories, that was certainly a moral victory. A&M carried their momentum forward out of that game. You, you didn't see any stumbles uh, for the rest of the, the non-conference season all the way through December. The Aggies held up their end of the bargain. They took care of the cupcakes, took care of the paycheck games. And you know, carried on a, a nice fourteen and one record into the beginning of conference play. And at the beginning of conference play, we the bottom completely fell out. Um, we had multiple off-court suspensions. We were kind of playing through both those suspension problems and through some injuries. And what followed was a five-game losing streak in the SEC to open the conference slate. Uh, and I think, Blake, if I recall correctly, we had our preferred starting lineup available for one of those five games. And I think it was the fifth of the five at at Tennessee where we finally at least had the starting five that we had found so much success with uh, in, in November and December. But it was really bizarre to have this team reach the heights, as you mentioned, to number five in the country and then lose their opening five to uh, to start the SEC campaign. We did write the ship if you can call it that, with two pretty easy home wins against Ole Miss and Missouri to improve to 2-5. and five. But then we got the brakes beat off of us at LSU. And then in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, we went to Kansas and just got completely exposed. And things were looking pretty dark. What, what was once a you know pretty impressive one-loss campaign had dipped to 13-8. and eight. We had fallen completely out of the rankings. And you could be expected to demand a 7 or 8 wins out of the last 10 to make the NCAA tournament at that point. Yeah, things were, were looking quite dire at that point. Uh, the conference record stood at 2-7. and seven. That, was, that was a rough way to begin play. You knew that A&M had to go on a big run just to have a shot at making the tournament, and fortunately they did. They rolled off four, four straight wins over Arkansas, South Carolina, a big win at Auburn over a, a top-10 team. That was probably the highlight of conference play. And then a, uh, a decisive shellacking of Kentucky at home, which was a, another great highlight to roll right off of the, the, the heels of that Auburn game. You know, you, you started to feel like, okay, maybe this is possible. Maybe they can get themselves back into it. And then we hit another lull, another low spot, uh, three straight losses, followed by three straight wins. And then uh, a loss to Alabama in the in the conference tournament, but at that point you felt like the Aggies were in a good point. Uh, they finished the season with a nine and nine conference record, right at five hundred. 
with the depth of the SEC and, the, and just the quality of play in the conference last year, you knew going into Selection Sunday that the team, while they were on the bubble, so to speak, they really weren't on the bubble. You could reasonably expect that they would that they were going to make the field, and there wasn't going to be a whole lot of drama in you know where where they would end up. That we did. We did make it comfortably, and that was a function of just how good our non-conference results were, right? I think we had more leeway than just about anybody, and I think uh, that speaks to what was ultimately a comfortable seven seed. I think that surprised a lot of people, but those of us who were in the know who could remember just how destructive is almost the word I use this team was in the non-conference uh, during their non-conference slate uh, made it a, a pretty comfortable selection Sunday. So we made it in nice and easy, face number 10 Providence in the first round. Had to kind of grind out an ugly game. Um, I didn't. I don't want to say we looked great. We looked good enough. Uh, 73-69 final. But, you know, it's the second round rite of passage that we've come to expect as Texas A&M fans, even if it's not an expectation we fully deserve. With You know, if we get to the tournament, we typically do make the second round. And it set up what appeared to be a game where we had a little more than a puncher's chance in Charlotte against the second-seeded North Carolina Tar Heels. Defending national champion, North Carolina Tar Heels. I think 34-1 and one in their last 35 NCAA games in North Carolina. Those Tar Heels. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, I think 12-1 and one in their last 13 NCAA games as a whole. They, I think they're pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. Uh, so anyway, what happened there is we beat them so soundly that they never got within 17 in the second half. It was one of the most fun days to be an A&M fan that any of us can remember. I don't know. We ran out of superlatives to describe this game. If you listeners want to check the episode before this, you can listen to Blake and I dive in when the game's real fresh and just gush about it for a full hour. So that's that's a fun re-listen for anyone who's interested. But uh, that game set up a Sweet 16 battle in Anaheim against number 7 Michigan. And the context for this game, Blake, was really interesting because, and I think people are going to forget this, and I wish I, I wish I could forget it because thinking about it right now makes me really sad. Our half of the bracket was decimated heading into this game. There it were was. nines, 11s, seven. You, uh, Michigan was conceivably the best team we were going to have to play until we got to the NCAA finals, right? Oh, without a doubt. Without and it, a it, doubt. It was, it was against that backdrop and with that excitement that Michigan just came out and, and beat the pants off of us. Uh, I can't think of maybe any game during the season except maybe the game at Kansas where, where we were less we had less of a chance of winning where we were blown off the court so sufficiently so early um so a bit of a rough way to end and perhaps the listeners can understand why we didn't immediately hop on the pod to talk about that one um but no it, it put a bow on what was truly a tumultuous bizarre but ultimately successful season bizarre is definitely the right word when you when you look at all of the things that happened off the court you look at the suspensions, you look at the dismissal of J.J. Caldwell. It was a season that Hollywood scriptwriters couldn't have come up with. The, the, the way it ended, I remember we were so high coming off of that win against North Carolina. There, as you said, there aren't enough superlatives to, to adequately describe the way that we felt after that game. To have that all come crashing down uh, in the Michigan game, I mean, credit to Michigan. They shot the lights out. They were phenomenal. A&M just didn't have any answers. It, it was the quintessential reason that you can point to for uh, battered Aggie syndrome. Hmm. Yeah, and I struggle to think of 
how or if we'll ever see a season quite like that again. Both the ups and the downs truly were extraordinary. Absolutely. And and I think part of that was because this was such a this was such was such a diverse group. You had guys who were established in the program. You know, you had Tyler Davis, DJ Hogue, Admon Gilder, guys who were the elder statesmen, Tro- Tony Trosha Morelos, his his final campaign, a guy, you know, who had been a loyal soldier for for AM and who had been with the program for what seemed like a decade almost between all of the, his recruitment and everything. Um, you had Robert Williams coming back off of a, a, a freshman year where he was being talked about as a lottery pick. And so it was surprising to get him back. You had some young talent coming in that, that you were excited about guys like TJ Starks. Uh, you had the, the elder statesman, the, the seasoned veteran and Dwayne Wilson, you know, coming in as a, a grad transfer there was a lot of a lot of different things that they all came together in this season and you thought okay there's a lot of good pieces that fit here but there was so much drama around injuries and you know all of the off-court troubles and you know you mentioned earlier the the stretch of games to begin conference play that there was only one of those first five games where you had your preferred lineup on the court both due to injuries and uh, suspensions and it was just a bizarre, disheartening, discouraging period to, to go through that and see see a program that had so much promise be decimated and seemingly not unable to get out of its own way. So, yeah, we couldn't. We couldn't get out of our way. That's what made the season frustrating. There were times where we didn't know where to direct our anger. Should we be angry at the off-court problems? Should we be angry at the times where, even with the off-court problems, we still had enough talent on the floor to take care of business? I don't know. It's part of what makes uh, last season so unique. But I do want to expand on the type of people that we're losing, right? Because you touched on just how much is leaving this program. And I don't know if everyone is aware of just how impactful this outgoing group of guys was. Uh, So let's walk through. Let's walk through and, and hit the individuals that, for one reason or another, won't be joining us next season. So yeah, let's let's hit the outgoing guys and we can kind of split it into... There's two two different things happening here with our outgoing group of guys, right? There's there's the guys that have to leave for one reason or another, and then there's those that had a choice and chose to not return. Uh, let's start with the easy ones, right? We'll start with someone like Robert Williams, for example. Consensus first round uh, selection, easy call to declare after his second year, uh, ultimately selected in the 27th overall pick by Boston. Uh, what do you think we're losing with Robert Williams applying his trade in the NBA? Well, I think that losing Robert Williams is one of those situations where you never really could count on him coming back for a third year to begin with. He, The most you were going to get out of him was two years max after that freshman year. And really getting the second year was uh, an unforeseen blessing. Because yeah, it was found money. I, I, think, yeah. I, I think both of us felt like he was gone after his freshman year. So him coming back for a sophomore run was was quite stunning, in all honesty. You're, you're certainly going to miss his defensive presence. You're going to miss the energy that he would bring to a game whenever he would throw down a monster dunk or when he would go throw a shot into the fifth row. I mean, the guy the guy could energize a crowd. He His energy wasn't always high, but when he was plugged in and he was engaged, it was really something to behold. Yeah, I'm going to miss the rim protection, and I'm going to miss the cool dunks, but I'm going to miss the safety of... Anytime someone got beat out at the top of the key, 
I just I wasn't concerned. And that's something that I think we're really going to realize that we may have started to take for granted by the end of his time here. So I wish him all the best. Like you said, the second year was a blessing. And I think he landed in a good situation at Boston, and he'll be all right. Agreed. So the next one that that had to depart from the program was uh, Tony Trocian Morelos. Tony seemed like he had been with the program for a decade. He was he was a loyal soldier. He wasn't the most talented, but he was always a great representative of the university, great representative of the team. Uh, you know, I, I felt like you saw his game evolve over over the course of his his time in A and M. He became a better defender. He wasn't he wasn't a stellar defender, but he became a better defender. He was not not shy about taking charges, and you know he's he he became a, a more complete, more well rounded player. You you'll certainly expect that he would have a career overseas playing. Um, you know, hate to see him go. Wish him all the best. I, I have a soft spot in my in my heart for Tony just because I felt like he was a a good guy and a, you know, a fun player to watch. And he wanted to be here, right? That's the thing is exactly in, in a world where guys transfer at the drop of a hat, he continued to try to requalify and he made it the point to play here specifically. So I always appreciate that. I I'll appreciate having big man depth with range. I always felt like the best version of this team. We saw the best version of this team whenever he was playing and shooting well. Uh, so we're, we're going to miss that spark, but Really, we're just going to miss his, uh, I think, two things. We're going to miss his leadership. And we're going to miss his height. We're, uh, as we continue to list these guys who are leaving, we will note, and listeners will probably note, that most of them are very tall. <laughs> and uh, That's going to be something that we're going to have to deal with next season is uh, a bit of a lack of height. But So yeah, let's, uh, let's go to a little guy. We'll, we'll take it down to Dwayne Wilson, the grad transfer, who really, I think he gave us everything we were asking for. He came from Marquette, and he was struggling to get playing time. Uh, and then he joined A&M and just took the team by storm. And we started to wonder, what, uh, did, did Marquette get two of the greatest freshman guards of all time? How could this guy not get? Uh, now, how could this guy not see the floor out there? Uh, he was great for us for large stretches of the non-conference run. Injury problems did start to pile up. He had a, a knee issue and kept trying to play through it. I think Blake, we were discussing, he had, did play on a partial ACL tear. Uh, kept playing through it. Ultimately, that knee buckled even further, and and that was the end for him last season but i thought in terms of a grad transfer guard he gave us everything we were looking for a great stabilizing force and man i thought we missed him at times whenever uh, whenever things weren't going so great for us last year oh yeah uh you know i really grew to love Dwayne wilson in the one year that he played with this program he was exactly the guy you wanted to have around to mentor two young freshman point guards and tj starks and jj caldwell you know, he was a tough, gritty player. He played defense. You know, he, he shot the ball well. He was smart. You know, he, he, he'd he attack the rim. He did whatever needed to be done to win a game. And and I really re- grew to respect him. The What you saw him basically playing on one leg for the last 10 games of, this, of his season was just completely admirable on his part. And, and you felt like he gave you that leadership element that you needed with those young guys, only to have one of those young guys, J.J. Caldwell, be dismissed from the program midway through the season uh, because of his off-court issues. Yep. So that, that's another guy who obviously won't be returning to the program, and you know that, that certainly hurts, uh, hurts your depth up front. 
Yeah, we'll we'll touch on Caldwell briefly. Uh, ultimately, he's going to go down as one of those guys that never lived up to his mixtape, right? He he had a you know somewhat cut an all time high school slash AAU mixtape of Caldwell just dropping dimes all over the place, and he was the prince who was promised at point guard, right? And especially coming off of our 2016-2017 campaign where we really were a good team that just didn't have a point guard in a world where you have to have a point guard, right? We just had a giant point guard-sized hole in what was otherwise a quality basketball team. And it was bizarre to me how much he really didn't help. Um, He was careless with the basketball. He couldn't stick an outside shot, and the offense never really flowed that well through him. I'm going to go ahead and go on record and say we're we're not really missing a lot with this departure. I just don't think he was a good fit for what we were trying to do. Uh, Probably, for me, the least impactful of, of the outgoing players we're going to discuss. I agree. Uh, I think I think that there are some things we can touch on in the next episode based on some of the changes you're going to see to the team, where maybe he could have brought more in a different style of play. Yeah. With it, but with this inside-out game that we ran through our bigs, that just wasn't. It didn't fit his style. It didn't fit what the way that he operates. And you're right. He was careless. He was a turnover machine. Yeah, I, I don't think based on what we saw of him. He certainly wasn't what we had hoped he would be, and I I don't think he's going to be a huge loss overall. Let's work our way up the impact chain and hit DJ Hogue. So a more impactful loss than JJ Caldwell. Somebody who, by all accounts, really never featured as a likely draft pick. Uh, I know there was a time there where he showed up as a second round possibility, uh, but I think that went away as inconsistencies and off-court issues continued to surface in the latter part of the season. And I don't know, but we've talked about this one, and this, I think, to us felt like he was just getting out of dodge before he had made one too many mistakes here and was perhaps concerned that that was going to be irrevocably damaging to, to him, to his professional prospects. Oh, absolutely. You know, he had... Two suspensions last year. He had two strikes on his record. You know that third one. You knew the hammer was going to come down if he got in trouble again. So I I think that he just knew it was a situation where it was best to to move on and and take a roll of the dice and maybe he could come up with with an NBA opportunity. You know DJ was DJ was a, a guy who had such a high ceiling, but the the inconsistency in his game was always troublesome. You know, when DJ was hot, this team was unstoppable because you had mm-hmm. that inside-out presence. If you wanted to collapse down on the bigs, he could kill you from three. But there were times where you would collapse down on the bigs and you'd never even have to step out past the free-throw line because he couldn't knock down anything uh, past 18 feet. So the, his game did develop last year. You saw him actually become a halfway decent defender. Um, you saw him actually start start blocking shots. He started he started moving his feet more on defense. I, th- I thought, you know, he actually became a, a pretty pretty decent player for for A and M. And I think with another year, he would he certainly would have improved his prospects had he not had the off court issues. But uh, you know, once again, it's one of those things where if you can't take care of business off the court, it it certainly can come bite come back to bite you when you try to do things on the court. I agree on honestly on all counts, and I I really we're gonna miss him. But there was clearly an oil and water situation here, right? There was something about the way we handle our business and the way he went about his that just didn't work. Um, I could have seen him as a very good grad transfer option for somebody. I think he agreed. I think a a change of scenery would have done him well, 
But from what we've heard about him, it just seemed like he was done with the college experience. I think he was ready to just go get paid to shoot baskets. And I'm not sure anything else was was, was going to happen there. So we're going to miss him, but I think he had reached his natural end here. But let's move to the last guy because this is an interesting discussion point and one we might spend a little bit longer on. And this is the departure of Tyler Davis, who had no such off-court problems, was a model citizen, a damn good college basketball player, but not someone who appeared at first glance to be a great fit for the NBA, the way his game sat after three years of college basketball. I think we can all agree that Tyler Davis is a first-round selection in the mid-90s, but the way the, the way the game is played now, uh, it's all about pace and space and getting switched out on the guards 25 feet from the basket and you know, to I'll have nightmares about him getting switched out onto Michigan guards 25 feet from the basket, right? That was just not, that was just not a good position for him to be in. Uh, I, I thought, I truly thought he was going to come back and get some seasoning, work on his outside shot and just use it as one more year of live NBA training, right? But he bailed. He went to the NBA. Uh, he landed himself a two-way deal with Oklahoma City. So it's, you have to say, I guess it worked. Um, to me, that's more of a function of the fact that the two-way deals now exist. And for the listeners, that the two-way deal effectively gives you extra roster spots. It makes the fringe of the NBA larger. It means there are now every team now has two additional spots they can give to guys to bounce back and forth between their parent club and the AAA club all season long. So it kind of it widens the fringe. It created 60 more spots for guys to become quasi-NBA players. But at the same time, he had to go grab one of those spots, and he did. And I don't know. I'm, I do wish him well. I don't love the optics of him leaving. And I, I struggle to fully articulate what this might mean for the behind-the-scenes realities uh, of this program. But, Blake, where do you sit with the Davis decision? Davis is the one that hurts. It's the one that's bewildering. It's, it's the girl who dumps you when you felt like the relationship was really good, and all of a sudden... She gives you the "it's not you, it's me." Um, you know, I, yeah, that stings. You know, you you know how I feel about Tyler Davis. I, I think our listeners know how I feel about Tyler Davis. I think he was a phenomenal talent. I loved watching him play. Um, you're talking about a guy who, in three years with the program, had moved up to number twelve in all-time scoring at Texas yeah. A&M with a solid. I mean, even if he just duplicated what he did in his junior year, he moves up to number two in the all-time list. If he, I think he needed something a little more than 600 points to get to number one and, and pass Bernard King as the leading scorer in A&M history. So it's certainly disappointing that he leaves. I don't know why. Uh, I, I will tell you after the Michigan game, if, if you heard, and I know you and I talked about this, there he was asked in the locker room after the game, is this the last time we're going to see you in an A&M uniform? He didn't say anything. He simply shrugged. And when I saw the footage and when I heard that question asked and I saw his response and the look on his face and his body language, you knew in that moment he was gone. Yep. I, I don't know if this was in any way impacted by... DJ Hogue's situation, you know, DJ and Tyler Davis were uh, were high school teammates. They were good friends. They came to A&M together, and maybe maybe there was something in DJ Hogue's treatment that that rubbed Tyler the wrong way. Maybe maybe the culture wasn't a good fit. You always you always felt like he was a really good fit for 
for the program. He was always such a great representative of the program. He was great on TV, great in interviews. You, you felt like he was really the model citizen, as you said. He was the unquestioned leader of the team. I, I don't know. I don't know if there was something in the culture that changed or some situation that happened behind closed doors that, that we aren't privy to that, that changed his outlook and his perception on the team. But it's certainly disappointing, and that's, that's the departure that's going to hurt because everything that A&M has done for the last two years, absolutely, but even going back somewhat to his freshman year, was built around his presence inside. You know, building that inside-out game with a guy who who could control the low block on the offensive end, and you're losing that. And as we've talked about, you're you're losing three guys who are who are six ten or taller. That's going to hurt because there's there's not any depth of of size behind them. The only the only big player you had behind them was Isaiah JC who saw what we what could be described as sparing minutes at best. So, uh, you know, the loss of Tyler Davis is going to hurt tremendously for this team going forward. It's the biggest one for me, even bigger than Williams. Um, I've always thought that Davis was honestly just a better college player than Williams. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to watch us run offensive sets, you know, our offensive our offensive sets for the past 3 years have been built around the idea that you just can't guard Tyler Davis one-on-one and everything you know the adjustment to that and, the, and then the adjustment to the adjustment everything flowed from that reality right is that if you leave D- Davis one-on-one he's going to score or get fouled and that was just an unquestioned reality it's going to be different now and and we'll, we'll touch on this we'll we'll expand on the new world in our next episode but yeah that's the biggest loss for me and man when you when you string all these guys together I mean that really is five of our of our eight-man SEC rotation right Davis Williams Wilson Troca Hogue that's that's five big time contributors, so it's it's going to be a lot to stomach. Absolutely, but like you mentioned, life goes on. Next week we will jump in and take a look at at who's coming back, who are the newcomers that are joining this group, and talk a little bit about what we might expect in terms of style of play, uh, you know, and and some of the some of the personalities and what we might expect to see from Billy Kennedy. And maybe even take a quick look ahead at the schedule and uh, peek ahead and look at look at what our possibilities are for a ceiling and a floor for this team. So that's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to that discussion. This it's been nice to put a bow on the 2017-28 season. One we're not going to forget anytime soon. But it's time to move on. And I think as we approach opening night on November 7th, it'll be. You know, I'll, I'll look forward to changing the focus to to the coming season. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm looking forward to it, David. It's been fun. We're back, man. I'm looking forward to talking to you once a week until we hold aloft the 2018-2019 National Championship trophy wooden block thing that they give out. So, you know, until then, I'll see you next week. All right. See you next week. Peace.